I love what Sarah said there at the end of her video. I'm not perfect, but I'm perfect for God. And I don't know, you know, who you are, maybe if you're visiting with us today. Some of you I know very well. I don't know what you're carrying with you or what is weighing you down, but if there was anything that we could ever convey to you at Hope City Church, it's that you're not perfect, but you're perfect for God. And uh, no matter what you bring with you, no matter how disqualified you feel like you are, God loves you, and he has incredible plans for your life. And uh, the baptisms and the videos and, and everything is really just a perfect segue, perfect introduction to the second week of this series that we're in called I Don't Want to Be That Person Anymore. I don't want to be that person anymore. And this series it is all about how we can be the person that God created us to be and how we can be the, the, the person we used to be less. We don't want to be the person we used to be. We want to be the person that God created us to be. And it's all based on this, the, the, this Bible verse in 2 Corinthians, the whole series. We'll read this verse every week because it is the foundation for this whole idea. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It'll be up on the screen for you, but it says... This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. That's just incredible news. That's just such good news that anybody who is in Christ has become a new person and the old life is gone. And last week was all about the difference between regret and repentance. That's how we started the series off. And, and, and that's just a fancy way of saying that when our decisions bring consequences with them, do we really want to change? Is it true that we don't want to be that person anymore? Or do we just feel bad about the consequences that, that have happened in our life? Are we just regretting what we did? Or are we truly repentant that we would turn and, and do whatever it takes to, to change? That was last week. And and we talked about how that this verse says that the new person has been created and the old life is gone, but that for so many of us, we would say, like, not so fast, not so fast, Jason, because I, I don't necessarily feel that new. I mean, you know, there's some, there's some pieces in there, but that old life is still very much there. I still feel it. It's still hanging around. And what we say to that and what we say around here a lot is that we, we, just, we want you to give God as much time to fix your life as you gave the devil to screw it up, right? So don't give the devil 20 years and then give God 20 days and be like, I knew it wouldn't work, but give God time because it is a process and you are becoming a new person. You know how it is like when you visit family and you see a niece or a nephew that you haven't seen in like a year or a couple months? And you think, wow, they've grown so much. And their parents are like, really? Like, or or they, they don't feel like they have, but because you don't see them all the time? What's well, the same way with your spiritual life? You're, you're looking at yourself in the mirror every day, and you don't feel that different. But everybody else around you notices the different person that you are becoming. And so this, this is just for us. We, we want to be that person that God it created us to be and not be that person that we used to be. Anybody would just say, yeah, I do not want to be the person I used to be. Come on, let me see your hand. I don't want to be that person. And yes, we're talking about spiritual stuff, but I mean, come on, there's a, I don't want to have that hairdo anymore. I, I, don't, I don't want to wear that. I'm glad I don't wear that outfit anymore, right? I'm glad I didn't, I'm not dating that person anymore, right? Sometimes it's just good to remember where we came from, but we want to 
be the person that God um, has created created us to be. And so last week was all about regret and repentance. And what, what we want to do this week is we want to talk about another idea, two, two ideas that are closely connected, like regret and repentance. We want to talk about the difference between condemnation and conviction. The difference between condemnation and conviction. And the reason I think this message is so important is because I talk to you all the time. I hear your story. I know where you're at. And if there's one thing that I had to pinpoint that's holding us back from being the person that God has created us to be, it's condemnation. I mean, flat out, it is the fact that we cannot forgive ourselves for what we did, that we still carry our past with us. We still carry those decisions and those addictions and those habits with us, whether they were, you know, 50 years ago or whether they were five days ago, we can't believe that God really does love us and that God really does have great plans for our lives because we assume that he has to be disappointed in us the way that we're disappointed in ourselves. And so condemnation weighs us down. And so we desperately want to be the new person. We desperately want to be who God wants us to be. But we can't fully embrace it because we're holding on to our past and we feel so condemned. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't have to because I know where you're at and I know the stories that you have told me. But if I was to say to you, how many of you struggle to embrace the new life that Christ has for you because you can't let go of the shame, regret, like, like, I, like you are gonna be like, yes, two arms and a leg, like that's me, I am, I, that's where I live. I can't forget, I can't let go. And the irony is that when God forgives, he forgets. So you're remembering stuff that God doesn't even know what you're talking about. Like, I can't believe I did that. Guy's like, what, what, what are we talking about? Because he forgets it when he forgives us. That's what, the, that's what the Bible says. And so it's very important that we know the difference between the condemning voice of the devil, which is a very real thing. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. It's a very real thing. And the convicting voice of God. I read recently uh, that 3% of life events are highly memorable. Only 3% of life events are highly memorable. That, that is about 17 things that happen to you a year that make it into your long-term memory. So depending how, how old you are, if you multiply that by 17, that's probably how many major life memories that you have that have made it into your long-term memory. Everything else, 97% of what happens to us just kind of slips away and never gets logged away in the hard drive of our brain, so to speak. And, and so we remember the big stuff, but we let the, the, the stuff, the other, the little stuff go away. But I read recently about a woman named Jill Price, and Jill is different from you and me because she remembers everything. I don't mean she has a good memory. I mean, literally, she remembers everything. She remembers that the final episode of MASH aired on February 28th, 1983, and that it was a Monday, and that it was raining, and that her windshield wipers stopped working. Like, she literally remembers everything. And so when you hear that, like, maybe your first thought is like, that's kind of cool. I would never forget a birthday. I would never forget an anniversary. I would never forget a doctor's appointment. But in her memoir, she, in her memoir called The Woman Who Can't Forget, uh, she wrote this, and I want to read this to you just straight from her book. This is what she said. She said, imagine being able to remember every fight you ever had with a friend, every time someone let you down, 
all the stupid mistakes you ever made, the meanest, most harmful things you ever said to people and those that they said to you, then imagine not being able to push them out of your mind no matter what you tried. All of us in here are able to forget things, but what's crazy is that we can't forget the things that we want to forget the most. I want you to imagine for a moment that I stood up here, and I'm not saying this, but imagine that I was saying that God has given me the ability and that I can pray for you and I'll put my hands on your head and God has given me the ability to take one memory away from you. Like you never, you, you won't even remember that you ever did it. The thought will never come back to you. Like you can uh, forget something that happened or you did in your past. If I was to say that to you, almost everybody in the room in like a half a second would be like, I know what mine is. It was the day my dad walked out of the house and never came back. It was the day that I did that drug for the first time and it got a hold of my life. It's, it's the day that I fell into this habit or this addiction. It's the day that I told somebody that I love that I hated them. It's like you, you have the thoughts. And if I told you I could take it away, you, you would know immediately. That's mine. I know what I want to let go of because we can't forget. We can't forget. And, and, and the devil shows up in our lives and he plays this highlight reel in our mind. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Plays this highlight reel in our mind just about the time, every time we get ready to be all in, fully embrace the life that God has for us. The devil will show up in our lives through feelings, through words, through someone else, and he'll go like, I mean, that's great that you wanna do that, but you know you really can't be one of those who's like all in because you did fill in the blank. You've been divorced. You, you, you got pregnant before you were married. You filed bankruptcy. You, like just whatever. You've been to jail, you, whatever. I mean, that's great that you wanna be that new person. That's awesome. But, but you really can't be all the way that new person because you did fill in the blank. And it's the condemnation that never seems to go away. This feeling of shame that we gotta hide from God because he can never really accept us for what we've done and for who we are. And that feeling has been around since the, the first human beings. Adam and Eve in the garden, you know the story probably, that Eve ate the apple, Adam ate the apple, they realized that they sinned, and God shows up that evening to, to hang out with them, and they're nowhere to be found, and God says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I was hiding because I was ashamed. I knew I screwed up. And I thought you wouldn't want to hang out with somebody who screwed up. So I was hiding behind the trees over there. And all of us, to some extent, feel that way, don't we? I screwed up, and I just figured you don't want to hang out with somebody who screws up. So I'm going to keep my distance. And every week at the end of service, and we'll do it again today, we give the opportunity for people to decide to follow Jesus. And we say a simple prayer that we repeat after. Uh, and, and in that prayer is this phrase that we say, the next time I fall, help me to get back up and to run to you and not away from you because we're all hardwired because of religion or because of the devil or condemnation. We're all hardwired to think the more that I fall, the farther I need to get away from God, but it's the exact opposite. But the more I fall and the more I mess up and the more I sin, the more I need to run to him and not be ashamed of who I am or what I've done because God 
loves me. And so if you're someone who is constantly feeling regret, somebody who's constantly feeling shame over your mistakes, I want us to read a Bible verse together, just just two verses in, um, actually one verse, excuse me, in, in the book of Romans. It's in Romans chapter eight, and it is incredibly good news. Like this verse is good news. This is, this is incredible. Romans chapter eight, verse one. It's gonna be up on the screen. I would encourage you to like write this verse reference down, like put it in your phone. Like you are gonna need to read this like 18 times a day for a while just to convince yourself that it's true. Romans chapter eight, verse one. This is what it says. So now... There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That is good news. That there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And so we could pray and we could go home and you'd be like, that's great. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You'd write it down somewhere. You'd put it in your phone, you know. You'd be like, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if we just kind of take that verse and then just kind of say it, we, we may not be tapping into like the, the full impact of what it means. And so what I want to do for the time that we have left is I want to um, explain to you technically what it means. Now, if you don't, if you spend much time around here, you know that, that we don't, our sermons are not really geared to like be this real in-depth study. That's not really how we do it. We want to just kind of keep it on a very practical level. But today, I feel like in order to really understand and tap into Romans Eight, verse one, we need to take a few moments and, and I wanna to explain to you technically, literally what this means. And then I wanna come back on the backside and I wanna to explain to you practically what it means for, for our lives, okay? So let's start with what this technically means. As a kid, I was growing up in church and I would hear this verse. A preacher would preach about it or I would hear someone say it or it would be on a coffee mug or something. I don't know. And, and I, would, I would see it or I would hear this verse. And I always, whenever I heard it, there's no condemnation. Actually, when I was growing up, it was the King James Version, which is like Shakespeare Bible. So it was like, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are, you know, it was always like, you know, whatever. And, um, and so I would hear this verse and, and I never rejected it. I never had a problem with it. It made perfect sense to me. Like, well, yeah, that sounds like, that sounds like Jesus. That sounds like God. I mean, he doesn't sound like the kind of guy who would be condemning people. And we say around here sometimes that like, we kind of imagine Jesus as our favorite Matthew McConaughey character, right? And so like in my head, it's like, I just kind of like, I can't picture Matthew McConaughey condemning anybody. So I'm like, I just kind of see McConaughey as like, yeah, we're cool. Everything's fine, you know? And so in my head, that's kind of how I picture Jesus. Like, you're like, wait, is this the technical version, Matthew McConaughey? No, just hang with me. So, like, that's just kind of how I pictured this verse. Like, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because, you know, Jesus is not the kind of guy who'd be condemning people. He's just kind of sitting around saying, like, hey, man, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. It's cool. You know, that's my McConaughey. That's all I got. But, like, that, like that's how I pictured it. But that's not actually technically what what it means. It's way better than that, actually, uh, because the word here for condemnation is not to feel bad. What this verse is not saying is, for those who are in Christ Jesus, you don't need to feel bad. We think condemnation means feel bad, but that's not exactly what it means in this verse. The actual word means, in this instance, that there is no penalty. That there, Condemnation, there is no penalty. So imagine like 
when the judge, when you've already been found guilty and the judge sentences you, he is condemning you to prison or to death or whatever. That's what this verse is talking about. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. He's saying that there is no penalty. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no penalty. And that's way better than there is no feeling bad. That's way better. And I wanna explain to you uh, what that means. Let me, I need to, get, Keith, can you help me for a second? Uh, come on up here. I'm not gonna, it's gonna be so simple. Grant, come on up here for me if you would. All right, Keith, just stand over here because you're gonna play Jesus in this example. Just hang right there. All right, you're pumped. Come on up here, Grant. Just hang with me right here for just a second. So for the sake of this illustration, Grant represents all of us. Like he's just mankind. He's human, right? He, he's all of us. And the Bible tells us that all of us in the room are born into sin. Like we, don't, we aren't born and then become sinners. We are sinful people. From the moment we breathe, we're sinners. And, and we know this is true because you don't have to teach a kid to lie. You don't have to keep, teach a kid to steal. Go home today, put Halloween candy on the counter, leave the room and say, now don't touch that. And you'll recognize that from a very early age, like our sin reveals itself. We are sinners, right? Because Adam and Eve ate the apple, they broke the system, and all of us are born into sin. We don't become sinners, we are sinners. That's just the way that it works. And there's nothing that we could ever do to fix that on our own. We can't feed enough homeless people meals at a shelter. We can't give enough money to the church. We can't cut enough widow's grass. We can't help enough old people off the, uh, across the street. Like we can't do enough good that we can't adopt enough kids. Like you cannot do enough good things to fix the fact that you're a sinner. You can't do it. Whether you are a mass murderer or you are a prideful liar, you're a sinner. That's what the Bible teaches us because Adam and Eve ate that apple, okay? And so the penalty for a sinner is hell, it's death. That's the penalty for sin, right? And all of us deserve that penalty, not because we did something bad, but because we were born penalized to death. Like we were born as sinners. And so that is our penalty. We will die and we will go to hell. That was what was set up for us. But God, knowing that that is the setup because we are born sinners, and we are, our penalty is death, he sends Jesus, all right? And so God sends Jesus to the earth. Come on over here for me, Keith, and just step in front of Grant for me. Just stand, no, turn around, turn around, face the crowd, stand in front of Grant. They can't see Grant anymore. This is beautiful, okay? So God sends Jesus, that's Keith in this example, and he sends him as a human being. We're gonna celebrate that at Christmas. He sends him as a human being. Why is that important? Because God had to send a human to earth to be sinless, okay? Full God, full human, which means the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are and have been tempted. And he was not allowed to tap into his God powers when he was tempted. So when he was tempted to lie, he didn't get to like press a button and be like, be God and not be tempted anymore. He had to choose not to give in to temptation and not lie. When he saw Mary Magdalene, and he was like, dang, girl. He had to choose not to give in to that temptation, right? You with me? She was a lady of the street. So I'm just saying, like, he had to choose not to give in to that. And he didn't get to be like, uh, okay, God, I'm ready to be God now, so, like, don't, I'm not tempted. No, like, he had to face the temptation and not sin. Had to be that way. It wouldn't have counted. It would have been cheating if he would have done it the other way. So... 
fully human Jesus shows up for 33 years and is tempted, the Bible says, just like you and me are tempted. But the difference between him and, and, and us is that he was born through the Holy Spirit to Mary, not of a man, which means when he was born, he was not born a sinner because he didn't have a daddy. I mean, he had daddy, but he wasn't born, you know what I'm saying? So the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary, Jesus, who was born a human being, and he lived 33 years, and he did not sin, which means he did not deserve the penalty of death because he wasn't born a sinner. Are you still with me? Okay. So he gets arrested. This is a true story. He goes to the cross. He dies and takes our penalty because he's the only person who's ever lived who did not deserve the penalty because he didn't do anything wrong. And he wasn't born from a man, which means he wasn't born a sinner. He was perfect and he did not deserve the penalty. But he went to the cross and he died on the cross so that if we choose to accept the salvation, him saving us, him taking our penalty, we no longer have to be penalized for our sin. So Romans 8 does not mean if you're in Christ Jesus, you don't need to feel bad no more. Romans 8 literally means that if you choose to believe that what I just told you is true, it's a true story, that there really was a man named Jesus, and he really did come to the earth, and he really was perfect, and he really didn't, shouldn't have to die, but he did die. If you choose to believe that's true and you want to receive the fact that he took your penalty, then Paul is saying, if that's you and you've accepted that and you believe that, then there is no penalty for you, right? Step over here for just a second. But Grant is like, I don't know if I believe all that, you know? I mean, the Bible was put together by like old white dudes and I don't know if that's legit. And, or maybe he does believe it, but he's like, I feel like that I can be good enough. Like I can be a good person and, and I don't necessarily like, I mean, I don't want to go to hell, but like, I don't necessarily need to follow Jesus because I'm a good person. Grant decides, you know what, whether I believe it or not, I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to accept Jesus taking my penalty. So what Romans 8 means for this guy is he's condemned, not because Jesus is mean. Not because he's like mad because he didn't accept it. He's condemned because literally the penalty for sin is death. The only way to not be penalized is to say, I am a sinner. I'm I'm a mess. But Jesus already paid my penalty. Does that make sense to everybody? Give him a hand. Come on, give him a hand. So I wanted to take the time to explain that technically because I think in order to apply this to our life, we have to understand that we don't just get saved because we want to be a better dad. We don't just come to church because we want to feel better about ourselves. When we decide to follow Jesus, we are, li- we are literally saying, it's why it's called salvation, because we are being saved because Jesus took our penalty. So there's no, if I said there, therefore now, I was going King James on y'all, no <laughs> condemnation, not because you're not guilty. Hear me, you're guilty. You did it. You keep doing it. You are a sinner. But Jesus stepped up and he took your place. So literally, that's what it means. But practically, it's even better than that. Because the penalty is not just hell. That is the ultimate destination. 
But condemnation from the devil is literally him trying to convince you that you deserve a penalty because you have sinned, right? What does that mean? So you got a divorce. So condemnation means literally the devil shows up and says, since you got divorced, you deserve a penalty. So your second marriage can't be awesome because that's your penalty. Since you were not serving Jesus when your kids were young and you somehow screwed that up, the devil shows up and the condemning voice of the devil says, your penalty is that your kids are gonna hate you. That's the penalty. Or God could not love you. Or you're never gonna get God's best because that is your penalty. So literally it's hell. On this earth while we live, the condemning voice of the devil says, you have to be penalized because of all the sinful things that you've ever done. And Paul steps up and says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. If you accept Jesus, every time the devil shows up with that condemning voice and says, yeah, but, you're like, it's true what you're saying about me, but Jesus has already paid the penalty for that. Which means if... Which means if I did everything wrong, but I've decided now I'm I'm gonna follow Jesus, yes, there may be consequences, there are earthly consequences. I get it. Like Jesus don't take calories out of fried chicken. You know what I mean? Like there's consequences. But there's not penalty. Because Jesus took the penalty. So anytime you hear or feel a voice making you feel that you are less than because of your sin, your past, or your mistakes, it's never God. Ever. It's never. If you ever hear a voice telling you you're less than because of something that you did. It's not God. It's always the condemning voice of the devil. The devil condemns, but God convicts. Jesus told us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of its sin. He'll convict the world. What's the difference between condemnation and conviction? I've been thinking like for several weeks, like what's, how do you explain the difference between condemnation and conviction because they're so closely connected that, that even if I'm in Christ Jesus while I'm sinning, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm going somewhere I shouldn't go, down a path I shouldn't go, or making decisions I shouldn't make, it doesn't mean I'm not saved. Like, I grew up in a very religious environment. It's like, I could have been stinking Mother Teresa, but if I drop like an F-bomb going off a cliff right before I die in my car, I'm going to hell, right? That's the way I was just thought in my head. It's like, I'm done, like, no, no, that would be like me kicking my kids out of the house because they didn't clean their room. It's like, get out. Like, that's not the way that it works. So I'm in Christ, I'm following Jesus, but I'm, I'm a little bit of a mess right now. And so I feel bad about it. But how do I know if that's because I'm feeling condemned or if I'm feeling convicted? And I thought, like, what, how do I, what, how do, how, what's the difference? How can, how can I explain that? Well, John... 1426 says that the Holy Spirit will teach you everything. This is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. It says he will teach you everything. And not only will he teach you, introduce you to truth, but that he will remind you of truth. So he's going to teach it to you, and he's going to remind you of that truth. It's kind of like when you decide to use Apple Maps or Siri or whatever phone that you have or whatever program you use for your directions in life. It's kind of like that. The Bible says that God teaches us, the Holy Spirit teaches us truth and reminds us of truth. 
So I'm sure you've done this just like me. You go into your phone and you type in, uh, you know, the final destination. And as soon as you hit go, Siri tells you what you need to do next. In 2.7 miles, turn left on whatever, right? But she doesn't just tell you once, does she? You get a mile away, and what happens? In one mile, same thing she just told you, she's just reminding you. In one mile, turn left on whatever. But she doesn't just leave it there. You get like a 1,000 feet away, and she says, in a 1,000 feet, turn left on whatever. And she's teaching you, and she's reminding you. But what happens if you miss your turn, which I do all the time? I don't know, I just overestimate differences, like distances. Like, it'll be like, turn left at 800 feet. I'm like, now? Is it now? Like, is that eight? I just feel this intense pressure about the distance. But anyway, so, so I miss my turn. Come on, you've had that happen. You miss your turn. What, what does Siri say? Rerouting, recalculating. Or they say, turn around. Sometimes you miss so many turns, they're just, she's like, just, just get back on the path. Like, just go back to where, you know what I'm saying? But, but you, she'll say, turn around, turn a U-turn. Or she'll say, turn left to get you back where you need to go. When she does that, hear me, she's not condemning me. She's guiding me. She's not condemning me. She's guiding me. She's reminding me of truth. Turn left. You missed it. Turn around. You're not going in the right direction. Turn around. That is the convicting voice of Siri, okay? If I missed my turn and Siri said, hey, moron, turn around, you're an idiot, that would be the condemning voice of Siri, right? If, if I missed my turn and Siri said, why do you always do this? I'm giving you perfectly good instructions, but you always turn too soon. Why do you always turn too soon? That would be the condemning voice of Siri. But Siri doesn't condemn. Siri convicts. And she says, you're not going the right way. No, 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 I know how to get there. I'll figure it out. No, you need to turn around. No, no, I'll figure it out. You need to turn around. Reroute, turn around, get back on the path. That is the difference between the condemning voice of the devil and the convicting voice of God. So yeah, you're in Christ, but you are still participating in sin and you feel bad about it. And rightfully so, because you're sinning. But just because you feel bad about it doesn't mean it's the condemning voice of the devil. It may be the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit guiding you, reminding you of what is true. Well, how can we know? How can we know? I wanna give you four, quickly, just four, I wanna encourage you to write these down, four ways, and there's more, I'm sure, but I wanna give you four ways that you can tell the difference between the condemning voice of the devil and the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit, okay? Number one is this. Condemnation focuses on our past. Conviction focuses on the future. Condemnation focuses on the past. So in the moment of sin or after sin, you feel bad about it. If it's condemnation, it focuses on the past. If it's conviction, it focuses on the future. So when the devil wants to condemn you, he'll just start throwing up a highlight reel of every stupid thing you've ever done. Can't believe you did that. That's so awful. Remember that time you 
It's always on the past, always on the past. The convicting voice of the Holy Spirit shows up and says, this is where I'm trying to take you, but I can't take you there if you are wanting to be here. If you keep doing this, we can't get to where we're trying to go. The condemning voice of the devil says, like, you remember back there? God says, here's where I want you to go. Here's where I'm trying to take you. So are you focusing on the past or are you focusing on the present or the future? That's one way to tell. Number two, condemnation says you should have done better. Conviction says you can do better. So the voice, the condemning voice of the devil will show up and say, you're such an idiot. You're such a moron. Can't believe you keep doing that. You're such a failure, right? You, 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 you. You should have done better. You shouldn't have done that. And the conviction, the voice of conviction shows up and says, you're better than that. Come on. It's not you're a failure. It's you don't have to be a failure. It's not you're an awful mom. It's you can be a great mom. You see the difference? See the difference? Number three, condemnation is vague. Conviction is specific. So you know when the, the condemning voice of the devil shows up, he's just going to start throwing broad brush accusations against you. You're an awful person. Well, I mean, you're not technically an awful person. You may have some awful areas, but you're not an awful person. You're a terrible parent. You're a terrible spouse. Like, he's just going to just really broad categories. But the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit will show up and pinpoint something very specific in your life that he's trying to change in you to take you where he wants you to go, right? So the condemning voice of the, Holy, of the devil after you blow up and like punch a wall and yell at your kids, the condemning voice of the devil shows up and says, you're an awful dad. You're an awful mom. You ever heard that voice? The convicting voice of the Holy Spirit will show up and say, you lost your temper with your kids today. You were quick-tempered today with your kids. Go apologize. Do you hear the difference? You feel the difference? Which leads us to number four. Condemnation focuses on the problem. Conviction focuses on the solution. So, so you can know it's condemnation when it's always focused on what you did wrong all the time, no solution. Conviction shows up and says, confess, apologize, make it right. So, so let's say that you have some secret sin addiction in your life and you can't kick it. The condemning voice of the devil shows up and says, you're an addict, you're a failure, you're an addict, you'll never get it together. That's the condemning voice of God because it's focused on the past, it's focused on the failures. The convicting voice of the Holy Spirit shows up and says, you're an addict, you need to confess so you can be free. You hear the difference? It's gonna give you a solution. It's gonna give you a step because the point is not what you are. The point is what you can be. So he wants to give you a step. I'll try to write a little more on that this week and post that up so we can have some more thoughts on that. But I wanted to give you those four things because when you're in that moment of feeling bad, feeling bad is not always a bad thing. You stick your hand on a stove and it starts burning. That's a good thing that you're feeling the burn because you need to get your hand off. So feeling bad is not the problem. In the moment of feeling that, feeling bad, do we choose condemnation or do we choose and recognize the convicting voice of God? Let me just end by telling you this story. I know I've thrown a lot of information at you today, but let me just end by telling you this story. When I was a freshman in high school, 
I failed four of my six classes. And some of you are like, how is that even possible? I don't have time to explain it to you, but it's not that hard, okay? It's not that hard. You just pretty much don't go to class. That's pretty much what you do. And, um, or don't do your work. So I failed four of six classes. At the time, uh, we lived in a pretty country uh, podunk town, and uh, I wasn't that great a basketball player, but I was one of the better basketball players at that school. And so I was a freshman, but they had me playing a lot on the JV team, and I, lo- all, I lived for basketball. That's all, that's all I wanted to do is just play basketball. And, and I didn't care about school. I wasn't following Jesus. I wasn't dating. Like, I just basketball all the time. And, um, and so when I failed those four classes, I became academically ineligible, and I was kicked off the team, which was the worst punishment ever, you know, because I, I just lived for it. And so, obviously, I knew my parents were going to find out because the school called them and told them, like, I failed, and I'm setting myself way behind and all that stuff. And so I go home, and we always got home before my mom and dad. They worked at the same office. And so I'm kind of hanging out in my room, and I'm wondering, like, how bad is it going to be? Like, what's going to happen? And So I'm, I'm kind of hanging out in, in my room, sitting on my bed, and my mom walks in. And she comes, and she sits on the bed, and I'll never forget it. She comes, and she sits on the bed, and I'm wondering, like, what's, the, what's it going to be? What's the punishment going to be? How bad is it, you know? She comes and she sits on the bed, and the first thing she says to me is she says, Jason, how are you doing? She, like a mom can only say to a spoiled mama's boy, looks at me and says, how are you doing? And I'm like, Mom, I'm, I'm sorry, and I just, I'm, I'm just sad, and I'm upset. I'm explaining it. And the second thing she says to me is she says, listen, your dad and I are sorry that you got kicked off the basketball team because we know how much you love basketball. I'm like, yeah, it sucks. Like, I, I'm, it, I'm devastated. It's awful. And then she said, I want you to know something. We're not going to punish you because we feel like you getting kicked off the basketball team is, is punishment enough. Like, you, we could do nothing more to cement this in your mind, so we're not going to punish you. But then she said the last thing, and the last thing was what I will never forget. And I called my dad this week just to remember, like, I, I, we were sharing the story, and my dad wasn't in the room, but, and she said to me, she said, Jason, I want you to know that your dad and I are not disappointed in you. We're disappointed for you. She said, we're not disappointed in you. We're disappointed for you because we know you can do better. And I'll never forget those words. And I can't think of a better way to end this message and to describe to you the difference between the voice of the devil and the voice of your heavenly father. That when you sin and when you fall and when you did sin and and everything that you did in your past, please hear me. He is not disappointed in you. He's disappointed for you. Because he knows There's so much more in you. If I could just get you to believe one thing, it's that God is not mad at you and your car's not breaking down because you smoked a joint and and your kids, like your kids are not serving Jesus because you, you know, had sex as a teenager. Like he's not trying to even out the world by penalizing you because of what you did. He already paid the penalty. So when you sin, he's not like, gosh, darn it. He's like, come on, 
there's more in you. Come on, don't settle for that. And so you're not perfect. But like Sarah said, you're perfect for God. And he's not disappointed in you. He's disappointed for you. And that is the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit showing up and saying, you can do it. Let's pray.